Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm Eero Samsini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Danny LaRue is in the building. I'm realizing that my uh, pods are the speaker right now. We'll make a quick adjustment there. Hopefully, does that sound better, Danny? You sound good the whole time. Sounded good the whole time. Wow, that's a good sign. Okay, so hopefully this sounds better. Uh, we are going to talk about future NBA dominoes, basically in terms of player movement, in terms of trades, the different pieces that we're looking at league-wide that could impact the future of the league. And there is an obvious place to start, and we'll start there. But first, Danny LaRue is here. Danny is the expert in all of these things. And <laughs> sure has read the entire CBA already, right? The new one? Uh, not entirely, but I've read a lot of the pertinent sections and the changes. Um, I'll probably do the whole thing. I've been a little, a little preoccupied, but <laughs> I, I, I will, I, you know, I, it honestly, like a lot, it's funny. A lot of things changed, but a lot of things stayed the same, but yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's something you spend quality time with. And as much as you think, you know, it, there will be something that comes up and it will stump me. It will stump the other people I, I know to ask, <laughs> except for Larry, Larry Kuhn. Everyone else will be stumped, and then and then I'll, I'll I'll send him a frantic email, and he'll hopefully get back to me. <laughs> it's one of those things where like nobody has an answer until like it's stress tested. Sometimes right. too, like you you just like don't know how the league will rule on things from time to time. Even so, yeah, I mean we might, uh, we might be dealing with one of those, and not that this is really a CBA thing, but with the Harden fine, like you know the idea of like these can occupy different spaces and and stress testing, and I mean going back to like the Jeremy Lin Omarashik contracts and all that stuff, like that's. That's the way this happens, and it's a kind of high-stakes way to adjudicate, but hey, them's the bricks. It's so funny, isn't it, the way that that works? Uh, so we're going to start here, Danny. The big news in the NBA right now is James Harden-based. Uh, James Harden was just fined $100,000 for basically saying that he won't play for the 76ers, or he's threatening not to play for the 76ers. And essentially the reason I think he got fined personally is that the league literally just very publicly released this statement about Damian Lillard saying what would happen if somebody like Damian Lillard or other stars around the league would threaten to not actually perform the duties of their contract, which is basically what James Harden said, saying he will not play for a team that Daryl Morey works for. That is your impression on why the league took this strong of a stance, right? 
Yeah, I think if it a combination of that and like tone setting, it's like this is the first one you always want to kind of set. You kind of want to have that as your as your threshold, as your boundary line, and it's always hard, you know, because then do you step back from that and and you go? But generally speaking, it was vaguely in line with what the what they kind of said they didn't want to see, and so you at least try to do that. I. You know, I haven't gone too deep into the weeds in terms of the terminology here, but I think I think they'll be successful. But yeah, that's the basic idea. Is like, hey, as much as we like certain parts of this, and you know, the drama can be a good thing for the popularity of the league. They believe there is a time and place for it, and that is their right. And you know, a lot of these things, not every, it's either collectively bargained or you know, adjudicated. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I get why the league did it. Because essentially, I am sure that Adam Silver is feeling some pretty real pressure from owners right now about getting control of the league back from players in some respect. Obviously, players should and do have a real sense of control over the way the league is run now after the player empowerment era has really strongly been adjudicated and won in many cases by the players. But I think that the owners would like to bring some of that back and rein just like a little bit of that back in, which I think is why we're going to see something like this happen in terms of fines happening and in terms of the statement that the league made in terms of Damian Lillard. For sure. And it, it bears repeating an emphasis every time this comes up that the commission at the pleasure of the owners, it's, they are not a representative of the players. They are not, they are not, they have a relationship there because that is an important part of this and every other sports business. But if, if somebody does something that runs afoul, especially in like a macro sense with what the ownership doesn't want. And I mean, there are a lot, then that the general, the commissioner is going to go in that direction and that's, that's the way it works. And then the player association is doing their job and pushing back on that and saying, trying to put their lines. And that's, that's really the way, that's really the way this goes. But it, that of course we're in this, we're in the slow season. So there isn't as much going on, but like, I think that the conversation about that is a lot less interesting than the conversation about, why this is happening and how it could resolve because like I wrote a piece for the athletic that talked about an idea that I don't think was out there enough. Not that I was breaking any new ground in any, in any someone's form, basically like, okay, it seems like a part of where this tension is coming from is that Philly is pretty steadfastly prioritizing 2024 cap space. And that is going to be a big complicator in whatever resolves with James Harden. Not only potentially his contract negotiations, which originated all of this stuff, but also where this could be going from here. And that is, I tried not to lean too heavily on like what I think, though I did give an answer towards the end. But that case of, well, and that gets into what you want to talk about on the pod of like, okay, well, not whether this was right or not, not whether Daryl Morey or any other person involved is a liar or not, but how did this happen? Why did it happen? Is that the right approach? So, yeah, speaking of approach, let, let's now just focus into what I think is the team that holds the most cards into where the league is going to go over the course of the next year, just purely in terms of player movement. A lot of the teams that are contending for the title, realistically, in my opinion, are teams that are a little bit more stable and incumbent in many cases, like the Denver Nuggets, right? Did not make many moves this offseason outside of losing Bruce Brown and 
drafting uh, three players that are older and hopefully are going to be able to step into the rotation a little bit sooner than uh, maybe what their draft position might indicate. Now, I'll ask this to start. If you were running the Philadelphia 76ers and James Harden goes about his process here in a similar way to how James Harden has gone about his previous processes after asking out of a place or uh, softly asking out of a place, such as not giving effort and stealth. I don't want to say stealth tanking, so that's probably a little bit unfair, but like not necessarily playing up to the level James Harden is capable of playing. Uh, he did this in Brooklyn, did it in Houston, uh, you know, uh, obviously has done it in a couple of different scenarios now where what would you prioritize in a James Harden move and how would you go about structuring that trade it's a really tough place to be because the the challenge for Philadelphia is building assembling the best possible team in the present because remember they have the reigning regular season MVP and moving forward and so those are not necessarily congruent objectives. You know, like they, they often are, you know, the players who are the best right now, if you, you could trade James Harden for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, that's going to help you in both or Luca or any number of other guys. Yeah. But generally speaking, of the pieces that are actually available, generally speaking, they're going to tilt one direction or another. That's just the way these things work. And so the fundamental challenge with with Harden and we can talk about when we don't need to even really dwell too much on how that part of this happened, but basically you say, okay, this is where Harden is now. And I agree with you that generally speaking, the Harden dissatisfaction has generally manifested itself in terms of him playing below his standard rather than yeah. withholding services, a, a buzz phrase that has been around the league now for about two weeks. Yeah. Um, I J- wouldn't James, James isn't not going to show up. Exactly. James exactly. is going to show up. Yeah. And I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. Wonderful people like laid out that stuff, but it's, it's also not what I believe to be the case. So yeah. basically as I was getting into that tension between the near term and the long term, Philly in part because of Tyrese Maxey, has the possibility of having a full max slot. You know, 30% is easy, 35% a little tricky, but doable for them if they mm-hmm. waited. But the only way that's remotely possible is to get back very little, if not zero, salary beyond the upcoming season in a hardened deal or in any other. You know, maybe they're going to trade Tobias Harris. Maybe they're going to do whatever. Like, in all of those conversations... A consequence of taking on longer-term money is making adding that type of player difficult, more difficult. But then you go into, well, what is what is in play the direction? And the other part of this is a kind of a classic tension. And like I think of the CJ McCollum negotiations as a good part of this. Or, you know, incidentally, Kevin Durant. Like Kevin Durant with the Nets, where generally speaking, you trade a good player, especially a good older player, for more long-term assets, developmental stuff, because yeah. that, that's the, that's what those teams have to offer. And because teams that are good now are the ones who are going to want a player like that. And teams that are good now are going to want to keep their other good players because they're trying to maximize the short term. Like the Clippers, let's say, for example, a rumored priority, if not only destination for James Harden. So if that's the case, then it's very difficult to concoct a James Harden deal 
that keeps the Sixers at or even close to the level that they would be if James Harden were James Harden. However, this is the riskier part of it that I think, and you know this, but it, it, it bears repeating. We can't assume that the Sixers are going to have access to that James Harden. And even that a max, you know, the best the best iteration of James Harden at this part, point in his career, let's say he, you know, takes amazing care of himself and everything else, is going to be the same. You know, every year you expect, once a player is past their prime, you expect them to, that the reasonable expectation is that they'll be worse. They could be only slightly worse, they could be basically the same, or they could be a whole heck of a lot worse. We don't know, but that's the way it goes. So the idea of, okay, we're going to, move James Harden in a deal that keeps us as good, and, I mean, in the dream world, makes us even better. That's really hard to do. And, like, almost all you could think of the trade partners, the teams that would want James Harden, especially with the Rockets largely out of the mix, are not really going to make those kind of offers that are going to fill, even if you are a believer that Tyrese Maxey can take a lot of this playmaking responsibility and and do a great job. And I love Tyrese Maxey. Maybe he can but that's just, it's a hard thing to do. And, uh, and you know, so it, it as a kind of concept, like the, the real downside risk for the Sixers is not so much, oh, they'll be a bad team forever or anything silly like that. It's you're taking a real step back right now. And it just so happens that you have this star player who you do have under contract, but who is in some of the best years of his career, who just won regular season MVP, who is a wonderful player. And so I ended my piece with like, is this worth it? And we'll get into the other parts of it. And I'm like, yes, if, and the if is Joel Embiid. Because, but here's here's the other thing. Even if Joel Embiid is fully on board, if he is down with this process, which is different than the process, you still have to absolutely nail the landing. Like that is it, you know, it's like you, you, I I made the analogy in the piece of it's like a diver that knows they need to put up a more difficult dive than they anticipated to win the competition. And there's a chance they do it, but there's also a chance that you, when you do that, that you end up in a worse position because you tried to do something harder. You tried to do something that was very difficult. And that could be you, you know, like I think back to Gordon Hayward with the Celtics, you got the right guy, arguably, but he just got hurt. And that sucks. And the Danny Ainge didn't do anything wrong there. He, he didn't go out there and hit Gordon Hayward on the first minute of the game with a baseball bat. But that is a really difficult, stressful place. But you could still argue the Sixers were going to be in that sort of place with Joel or, you know, like almost any key player, any key team with any key player, especially when the surrounding roster isn't quite as good as some of the other teams, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and, and to me... The MB tension is ultimately the entire conversation here, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what makes this so hard of a needle to thread. If Joel Embiid is okay with taking a small step back for the 2023-24 season in order for the team to have max cap space and then thus be willing to try and get a max cap spot, and then continue to stay with the 76ers and work within that new max cap player that you're bringing in and that kind of structure while also maxing out Tyrese Maxey and then maxing out all of your flexibility moving forward by doing that. That's where you can go about this longer term trajectory, I think. I've been wondering if part of the reason that they have chosen not to extend Maxey is A, in part, for what you're saying, it creates the real flexibility for max cap space. 
but B, it actually makes him more tradable. It actually makes him tradable, period, to be able to maneuver on the fly because James has asked out and because Joel wants to compete now. Because at the end of the day, the reality is if they have to move James Harden for essentially pieces that are forward-facing or expiring contracts, right? They are probably not going to contend this year. And thus, even if you get a max player in the offseason, you are probably not going to contend next year either while you build up that continuity that you need in order to compete for a title long-term. So I wonder if Joel would see this as not just wasting 2023-24, but also potentially wasting 2024-25 while building up that necessary kind of team structure that you need in order to win, and thus potentially wasting the two best remaining years of his career by James essentially asking out and not going out and getting another star for him in this 2023-24 season. It is certainly a reasonable interpretation, though not the only one. I, there have been a lot of teams in recent vintage that have come together quickly enough. You do good. The, the Celtics with Ray Allen and KG and Paul Pierce. I mean, or I mean, the Warriors with Durant are such an anomaly because that team was arguably the most talented in NBA history. So it's like, yeah, they could they could give yeah. you like their not their best punch and still win. Um, but it does it does happen. I mean, Miami absolutely could have won the title in their first year as well. So, but the idea of them not being the best version, I think that's completely fair because especially in this iteration, like even if you take the, 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 like they get a really good max player, they're going to be taking this down, not all the way to the studs, but pretty close. Like, and so it's going to take a little bit to, you know, so you're going to need some minimum players to hit, you know, you're going to need the room exception, to be a wonderful player if we're going into this scenario, you know, ideally somebody who's probably going to have to close games for you in yeah. that season. And so it could work, but you're right that it is a it is a difficult thing. And, and the sales pitch for Embiid, it's like, well, you know, with James Harden wanting, wanting his way out, then we're going to do that. Now, of course, an important part of this is one of the reasons James Harden presumably wants his way out is that the Sixers weren't reluctant, were reluctant to give him long, longer-term money. He, you, you're... The, that's why this framing is so important is the idea that not that I think James Harden was the savior there necessarily. I mean, I'm, I'm, this, I've never been, you know, th- this version of James Harden, I don't think does that, but they could have had him in the fold. It seems like, it seems to me that this was not inevitable. It just became inevitable, inevitable based on the decisions that people have made, even if those decisions were justified and may end up being proven correct, which they very well could. And I actually kind of expect that they will. So I, I say all of this to say, I think there are two pathways that, well, well three, you, you laid out the first one, which is they trade James for cap space, basically, mm-hmm. right? The problem with that idea is the cap space idea is essentially to go get one of like Kawhi, Paul George, or somebody like that. Right, like they're yeah. very. very I, I can run through. Players. I can run through. So yeah. what I would say would be the like kind of quote unquote top five. We won't count LeBron in this, though. Technically, LeBron could be a free agent next year. We don't know. But the the five that I've kind of fixated on for them 
are as like kind of arguably max level players, whether or not they sign that as an actual contract. Kawhi Paul George, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and former Sixer Drew Holiday. And yep. eat the one of the challenges is three of those five are on teams that are really that have high hopes for this year. Like you could make an argument that their best case scenario is better than the Sixers realistic best case scenario. And then Siakam and OG Ananobi are complicated for a variety of reasons, but a, we don't know that they're going to hit free agency. Like it could be that they sign an extension or it could be like they get traded somewhere else. And that team then, you know, sets their decks in a row incidentally, like the Sixers did years ago with Tobias Harris, like the circumstance where they never truly hit the open market. And so I, I like a lot of those guys with Embiid and Maxi. If we think of that as the foundation, like for example, Siakam, fellow Cameroonian, you know, like their the defense would be really interesting. I don't love all the spacing stuff, but Ananobi, yeah. like one of the best one on one defenders in the league, he has explored the studio space a lot offensively. And incidentally, the coach who let him do that, Nick Nurse, is now the coach in in Philly. But I think he'd be a wonderful fit, kind of the version of him on paper. And also, Ananobi's young enough that we could still see his best years, as opposed to, you know, most guys who hit unrestricted for agency are in their 30s. And that's just not what we're going to see. But, and then there's also the, like, there's the offshoot path, which is, like, you get two non-max guys to take a little less. And that group could include something like Miles Bridges or, like, the aforementioned Gordon Hayward or... Nobody in this in the world has any idea what Clay Thompson's situation is, but like you could you could put concoct a thing where you get oh you get two pretty good players and yeah. that that are willing to come on board and and maybe you could even do a wink and a nod and you can give them a little bit more in a couple of years, but that's really that's the cap space path for a free agent. There's also the offshoot of trading for somebody, but the challenge there is if you're trading for somebody better than those like top five guys I was talking about that team is going to want assets. You're not going to, unless it's Bradley Beal with his no trade clause, you're not going to be able to get much of those players for basically nothing or very, or even like what the Sixers have to offer. So my problem with the free agency path is I think you are basically limiting yourself. If you want to stay as a title contender, I don't, as much as I love OG Ananobi and I do a team with Tyrese Maxey, OG Ananobi, Joel Embiid in like very little else does not win a title. I agree. I don't, don't think it does. Uh, I feel the same about Drew Holiday, to be honest. I don't think that team wins a title. The guys that I think you can reasonably make a case for is if Paul George is still 100% healthy and gets through a whole playoffs. Kawhi Leonard, if he's 100% healthy, gets through a playoffs. And LeBron. Like I, I think LeBron is an interesting case, at the very least. Yeah. I'll, I'll don't add know in, what LeBron wants. I'll add in there's an interesting, I don't fully support it, argument for Siakam in the sense that one of the elements of Siakam's offensive game is that he's done a lot of like stuff on the ball and suddenly with Dink Nurse as his coach. And there might be a more efficient version of him playing alongside two offensive players who are better than he is. And yeah. I mean, Siakam, we are, and the defensive case is pretty obvious for him. I... I'm not persuaded by it necessarily, but I do think that there is an argument that a max like Pascal Siakam taking a half step back on offense and a half step forward on defense is a nasty complimentary player alongside Embiid specifically. I'm intrigued by that concept. I would want to get in contact with Pascal Siakam's <laughs> representation now and like see what his opinions are on Nick Nurse and see what his opinions are on Joel and like 
understand a little bit more about that. I'm not saying well, tampering. And, I'm saying and, like, and Sam, that's the funniest thing is that three yeah. of the five guys that we're talking about have have experience with Nick Nurse because, of course, Kawhi does as well. So that's their thoughts true. their thoughts on this could be very salient. And I think that that is an intriguing potential pathway. The second pathway is combining Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris to go out and try and get a star that could be available now, right? You could try and go out and get Pascal Siakam. You can't really do that, I don't think, because if you do that, I think you are basically limiting yourself at that point in terms of ceiling. Because if you're going out and you're getting Pascal Siakam, you could theoretically do that in the offseason this year in the pathway that you said, right? There are very few other stars that are actually available right now and that actually work with Embiid. Like you might be able to go out and get like somebody like Carl Anthony Towns. And I wouldn't go out and say that I would move Tyrese Maxey for Carl Towns. I personally would not do that. I'm just saying like, if you're trying to build a second star around Joel Embiid, a theoretical pathway is using the Maxey asset, using the Tobias Harris expiring contract, combining those two and trying to go out and get a star. Is there anybody that you can look at as a theoretical option that makes sense there? No, there isn't anybody that really stands out to me. The, the yeah. best, a lot of the like top 20 players in the league are, aren't are really available. And I mean, the, where, yeah. the, or they're in circumstances where their team is happy with them or they're available but aren't necessarily a great fit. Like it, there is there a case for like Damian Lillard? Yeah, maybe, but like, he, you know, he's paid a lot of money during this time and it doesn't seem like he wants to be there. And yeah. you, you like there, you, you could think about something like that, but also like if let's say you're doing it for Lillard, like your timeline gets a little bit thorny here. It's like, you got as much as I love Dame and he's been wonderful when he's been healthy. Like you, if he ages like any sort of normal human being, you've got a couple of years probably. And you're paying him for a lot more than, than those two because of the extension he signed. And so that's risky too. You know, like it's a risky proposition. Yeah. And and the other part is like to me, if you're trading Maxi, part of the logic there is you want to get somebody who either is like a true one or one A or who is young enough that you could see something else. You know, like to me, getting a you know, a thirty-eight or thirty not thirty-eight, like a thirty-three year old star with that well then you're kind of in a similar boat you know like you're trading maxi you're mortgaging the future you know it doesn't have to be as extreme as how badly the rudy gobert trade worked out because very few things ever do but that you're because generally speaking you know like jalen browns don't become available every day and that that's the way it kind of works there is one theoretical player out there that i think you can make this case for and by the way this strategy then would include moving James Harden essentially for expiring players that are a little bit more like you could do the Clippers trade at that point for their expiring veterans at this sure. point. There's one player that I think you can make even the smallest logical sense for this. Okay. For. And it I'm would interested. involve, I'm, I'm interested and it would involve, you'd have to add multiple picks to do this as well. Trey Young, because I think if you're Atlanta, you can make a case that, Tyrese Maxey is a, you know, potentially interesting fit with DeJounte Murray. And the Tobias Harris deal allows you to cut some money in some respect, right? 
and it seems like Atlanta in some way is like cost conscious, right? It also gives you like a slightly more uh, flexible outcome here in terms of if you acquire picks as well. Uh, that's the only name that I can even make the smallest amount of sense for. I think Atlanta would have better offers for Trey Young if they decided to go down this road of moving Trey Young, and I'm not advocating them moving Trey Young. I'm just trying to even come up with the slightest theoretical outcome here that you could make a case for. Trey's compelling, to be sure. And I mean, I think that at times his star run the league has actually been a little underappreciated just because, I mean, yeah. he is a player who, when you put him on a team, generally they're going to have a consistently strong offense. And like he's done yes. that now. They were hurt last year by having significantly worse spacing. That's what happens when you give up some of your best shooters or they're hurt, which happened for them as well. Yeah. But it is like, I mean, the idea that that Young can propel the offense and I mean, Trey Young's off ball game at times is underappreciated. Now, putting him off ball alongside DeJounte Murray isn't quite the same thing as doing so alongside Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid, he occupies a different space on the floor. He occupies the defense in a very different way. But the other part of that, if I were in Daryl Murray's shoes, is where where does that put you and like also the salary structure there because you're you know like you're you're punting on max space um in all, because Trey Young makes a lot of money right now and Trey Young you know like he's he is a very talented player but he has specific flaws in the playoffs and I mean he's he's a very limited defender and the idea that part of what you love about Joel Embiid is that he can occupy a larger offensive role than every center that isn't named Nikola Jokic and yeah he can do that. Well, then you don't need an on ball dynamo necessarily in the same sense, though. I generally Mm -hmm. believe the more good on ball players you have, the better you're going to be if they can shoot, which Trey generally can. And so I I think that there, there is a logic to it, but as you said, I think that the other challenge of that negotiation is in part because of where Philly stands, Mm -hmm. it's hard to have the best offer. Because yeah. unless unless they left Tyrese Maxey, and in that case, yeah. then you know like maybe there's a case that Landry Fields, and more importantly, because these are ownership level decisions primarily, ownership is like, oh, maybe we can thread the needle here. Maybe we can yeah. not be as bad. We can do that. And and Atlanta's out a couple of their own future firsts because of the Dejounte deal. Yep. So there is a benefit to them of staying relevant. So maybe I don't, but, but again, like we talked about this in terms of the cap space route. And I mean, there's going to be a theme here. I don't think that to me, Trey and Joel, especially if it's a limited supporting cast, that is good enough to get you all the way there. So the only reason I say maybe to that is that in terms of that being an idea is that I think you can make the case that it's very similar to what Daryl Morey was trying to do with James Harden sure. having this dominant pick and roll playmaking guard next to Joel Embiid. Again, I don't really think it makes a lot of sense for Atlanta. I'm just coming up with like the only name that I can theoretically think that could hit the market that could make even like the smallest amount of sense. The final pathway here to me is attaching picks to Harden to try and get somebody else. And Zach Hoke in the, YouTube comments brings up the idea of trying to do Harden and multiple firsts for somebody like Zach Levine, getting somebody like Levine plus multiple firsts might allow you to then re-sign Maxi, use the Tobias Harris expiring to go out and maybe get like some bad money on your roster that 
can actually have like good players, but bad money. They're like slightly overpaid. And then you have a core of Maxi Levine, you know, using the expiring Harris money to take on some longer term money to maybe go about it that way. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a possibility there too. Uh, I, and Levine, his ability to play kind of on ball and off ball, basically the idea is, can you get somebody who is better than the players that you could potentially use cap space on acknowledging that like getting Zach Levine is a certainty. He is on your roster. He is under contract. Whereas any one of the players we're talking about, not only is it a certain uncertain whether they are even going to hit the market, but much less whether they will actually choose you over everyone else, including their current team. And so there is, and the idea that you can be more viable in, in the short, in the, in the near term. Because like the idea is that Zach Levine will be better for you than whatever iteration of James Harden you would expect to get. Yeah. So yeah, I do think that there's merit to that. And that's the other part of the approach with the Sixers that has been so dangerous is that like not only is it that you've you know, Harden is in a different place, but one of the underappreciated parts of their offseason is like they let some valued contributors go for reasonable contracts. You know, Shake Milton is now on the Timberwolves. George Niang is is on the calves like and it's not like those guys broke the bank it's not a bruce brown situation where like hey yeah. you you the player helped you win a championship he signed for way more money than you could offer congratulations move on it was yeah. in part probably weird with milton because he had his non-guaranteed second year the idea that they didn't want these sorts of commitments if they had gone down this route from the beginning then they could have theoretically you know, they could have done that pivot and like they could have done that even by doing a Clippers trade earlier and then you reroute some of the stuff and everything else. But yeah, I think that there's some merit to that. Um, the challenge with those deals, and I'm not saying this is a bad idea, I, I, I appreciate Zach for bringing, for bringing it up, is a lot of the teams in that boat don't think they're in that boat. You know, like Chicago yeah. is the fantastic example. It's like, would Chicago be in a better situation if they traded Zach Levine for expiring contracts, especially if they could get some first-round picks that had some real sizzle? I think yes. But I'm not Arturis. And and Arturis, Arch- <laughs> their, their general manager, who built this team and who believes that this team could still be good, you know, I think it's more likely that they extend DeMar DeRozan at a high wage than that they trade Zach Levine. And... You know that it, you know he he is entrusted to do that by ownership and everything else, and so you're looking for like it, it's it's not that you're looking for a needle in a haystack. They're like Zach Levine is a very good player. Like these these are established commodities and everything else. Mm-hmm. It's you're looking for a player who is simultaneously available and someone who is interested in buying what you are selling, and that basically means that they're looking to cash out and sell and transition into a different direction. Yeah. No, I, I think that's it's a, right. it's a great question, though. And that is why if a deal like that was to happen, you would have to do this, I think, by holding on to Harden for the first 30-ish games of the season, probably, <laughs> and holding your nose and praying that this doesn't become a disaster. And that feels kind of dangerous to me personally. Sure. And that's why this whole thing is interesting to me, because James, I think, is going to be pretty tough to be around uh, given what his current inclination seems to be. Uh, We've talked a lot about Philly and there's still one final question here that I think we need to ask at the end of the day. We're talking about players securing the bag. 
when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Let's say this goes as badly as it could. And I think that there's a real chance it could go this badly. Uh, that results in Joel Embiid asking out, right? Like th this, we're now officially on like Joel Embiid watch, in my opinion. I understand that Sixers fans, like that sucks, but it, it is obvious. Like we are 100% on Joel Embiid watch if this hardened thing goes very poorly. This is like potentially the first step of Joel Embiid being very frustrated with the organization. And I'm not saying that from inside information. I'm saying that just in terms of logic, that feels fair, right? It does. And if, if it provides some solace to Phillies fans, we were on Giannis Antetokounmpo watch until we weren't. Like the, this is, yeah. this can be, it can be a circumstance where the player just, you know, no drama re-ups or that the team kind of, it, it resolves in the other way of like, okay, this, this yeah. all kind of fit together. It does not mean in any way, shape or form that player is gone. It's a done deal, whether it's through free agency or a trade or whatever. Yeah. But the history of modern NBA basketball is that high level players do not tolerate being on teams without championship viability for very long like that is yeah. that is the way it worked now it could be a circumstance where 
you know, like the where the the team the kind of the seas change under and they kind of think that they could turn around or there's a, a sudden injury or something else like, yeah, that, that can happen for sure. But it is generally the way these things work. And, and so that is real pressure. That is pressure for Daryl Morey. That is pressure for ownership to not only being willing to embrace whatever approach, but also being willing to spend should that mm-hmm. approach, you know, whatever that ends up being. Because remember that, you have this narrow window. Let's say they do the cap space route. You need Harris or whoever is owning the Sixers at that point to be willing to kind of use those middle years to build up the roster and eventually pay like probably second tax level when Joel Embiid gets into his next contract. And, yeah. you know, that, but for Embiid, yeah, I mean, there is no requirement. And what I always say to say in these circumstances, just like in free agency, is like players. All they can do is be honest with themselves and what they want to do. And if they want to stay where they are, more power to them. If they want to go somewhere else, more power to them there. So it is a very, like, it is it is the most common thing to happen there should it go poorly. And that does not mean it is definite. That does not mean the die is cast. But it does mean it's a serious possibility. And that might be another consideration you brought up the idea of with Maxi. And I don't think Daryl Morey wants to tear this down. I don't think anyone really does at this no, moment yeah, in time. No, yeah, I don't think so either. But not – let's say Tyrese Maxey justifiably comes at this from the perspective of like, hey, like I've been a very good player. Like you can look at what some of the other – and he, you could argue, and I would, that he's better than some of the pools and heroes of the world. Yep. Like the kind of the kind of extension that he would accept is – a, is a little bit close, let's say theoretically, I don't have any inside information on this, to what he get in free agency. Well, then as the Sixers, you're not sacri- you're, you're sacrificing a lot signing him now because you're getting that. And, and you, could you lose this cap space idea? And, you know, you, you hope that it, they never turn into a pumpkin, but we hit present, you know, pre- recent past shows that they can. They can. And so, yeah. what, at least in terms of trade value. Right. And so the idea is that from, from the perspective of, if you need to change course, whether that's changing because things go really well or changing because mm-hmm. things go really poorly, not having Maxi locked in makes a lot of sense. And and there's also the risk. Yeah. And one of the things we, you and I haven't talked about is going back to one of the highest profile free agents that the Sixers could get in 24 is Kawhi Leonard. One of the rumored reasons that his relationship soured with the Spurs was their reluctance or let's say refusal in the end game to give him that extension. They played this game mm-hmm. and, you know, they got Marcus Aldridge out of it. It's not like they, you know, struck out or anything else, but it, you know, you lose that security and everything else. And so there is no guarantee again, that this, that this will happen with them. Like Andre Drummond stayed happily on the Pistons after they did a similar thing. It can yeah. happen, but there, the idea, like, I, I, I've, I generally think like no drama extensions. I, I've become more amenable to them recently because it's just like you don't want to cause all the stuff if you have a general idea. But the idea of a high level team having cap space and like, it, and, it, and you know, if Max is willing to take like ten million less less than his maximum, of course, then you consider that and you just roll with it and you do everything else. But yeah, it's a fair consideration. I think that. The way that we just explained this, I think, kind of crystallizes, in my opinion, how Philly should go about this. If I was Philly, the first thing I would be doing would be exploring the James Harden plus first round picks market. Because even if you move James Harden and you move out those future first round picks, and this goes completely fucking haywire, 
and you end up having to move Joel, you're going to recoup a lot of those firsts anyway by moving Joel Embiid, right? That seems fair. And you put, you know, oh, one other challenge for Philly. Um, this came up a little bit in my piece. It's hard for them to trade firsts right now because of the ones that they already yeah. have owed. But they can do some, you know, like we're using firsts as a proxy for assets. Like there, there are yes. other things they could do. Yeah. Like they have, I believe, their own 2024. They owe out their 2025. They owe out a 20, a current 2027 that likely will be a 2027 because the 2025 they owe out is only like top four protected or something. So the reason I say all of this is to say they could still move their 2029 pick. They could move a bunch of pick swaps if they want to. I would be trying to do that. I would be trying to move out that plus Harden for a better player or like a top 50-ish player in the league. That That's the way I would go about this. And then hoping that that player is on an expiring contract in some way, shape, or form. Honestly, like, I would do, like, James Harden and a first probably for DeMar DeRozan. That hmm. seems kind of wild on its face. But I feel like that allows you to contend now. It allows you to have potential flexibility in the offseason to go out and try and get a Kawhi Leonard or DeMar DeRozan or uh, um, Paul George. And if they don't resign, you can still pay DeMar more than anybody else can. Mm-hmm. And you might have a chance at retaining him. That That's the kind of deal I'd be trying to do if I was Daryl Morey. I don't know if Chicago has any interest in that. They probably don't, right? But that's what I'd be trying to do. Something in that ballpark. And, and F- Phoenix Plays asks, does DeMar really make you a contender? Honestly, probably not but it's the closest thing I think you can do to splitting the windows. Yeah. And it's hard because you pretty much, and it's DeRosa comes up here. You'd, you'd ideally want a player who can shoot because that gives yeah. you more and more flow around it. But the players who can shoot ideally who are wing sized are hard to come by because Tyrese Maxey is more of a point guard size. So you'd want somebody yeah. who's, you know, at least six, four, you know, you could do it. Right. And, but, but, you know, Devin Booker or Lowry Markin and probably aren't walking through that door. So mm-hmm. you can, you can kind of, you could, you could hope for it all you want, but it's it's a really tough spot to be in, and that's and that's th- this that tough spot to be in is why my next move would just be moving Harden for cap, like for veteran players that give you cap space this offseason At the end of the day, but and and that's the funniest thing is like the Clippers offer. You know, we don't know exactly what it was. May look yeah. better, and like let's say it's. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if even Terrence Mann's included. Like, first of all, Mann probably wouldn't stick on the Sixers if they go the cap space route, just even, even though he's a good player at a reasonable rate, just because they only have so much wiggle room outside of this, depending on who they get. But, you know, like those guys could help them. And if they think Maxi can take the reins, then you could, you could roll with it. Like the, the cast off Clippers actually aren't that terrible a fit with it. And maybe another team is interested, but the problem is like, James Harden, especially with every like with teams a lot more set right now, like where yeah. where is that going to happen, and who can do that with mostly expiring contracts? It's it's a tough it's a tough needle to thread. And I think you have to go about it that way because mm-hmm. if Joel asks out, you need to be able to be light on your feet and be able to then maneuver and get flexible very quickly. I think that's just kind of the reality. Like, I I think you need to now be planning with this James Harden deal with the potential that Joel Embiid asks out. Well, so, and and, and as you, but I want to push push back on that just a little bit. 
I agree yeah, with yeah, you yeah. that this is a this is a distinct possibility. Does that potential domino make you sufficiently reluctant to move firsts in the near term? Because like maybe not doing something involving your twenty four or your twenty five, and then they already like yeah. there are some conflicts there already. But like if you think even though that's not what you want to happen in your heart of hearts, if you think that there is a chance that Joel Embiid is going to be that his next contract will not be signed with Philadelphia, however mm-hmm. that happens, how comfortable are you then giving up a 2029 first round pick for a top 50 player that isn't a top 20? I would give up a top four protected pick. I'd be willing to like protect it. So I'm not getting crushed within the lottery, but mm-hmm. that I am like, hopefully being willing to do something like yeah. that right yeah. um I, i'm I just saying it's a, i'm it. saying it's a consideration because like you know no 100 like, percent. but i think that it's a consideration only insofar as you're going to recoup these assets anyway if joel asks out mm-hmm. and you just want to have access to your potential top picks at the end of the day like if you are going to bottom out entirely and you're going to finish in the top four potentially and get a top four pick you want to have access to that but otherwise, you want to do everything you can to try and support and retain Joel at the end of the day. And to me, like, this is where we want to move forward in this conversation now after 45 minutes and talk about other teams. To me, the Knicks, like, to me, like, when I look at what the Knicks are doing, this feels like what the Knicks are trying to do to me. Like, they're trying to best position themselves for Joel and B. And I, that comes from, like, no inside information. I want to be very clear about that. But, like, to me, that's why you don't give all of your assets for Donovan Mitchell. You don't give all of your assets for some potential deals that occurred this summer. I think that you are hoarding for a player like Joel Embiid. And if he was to hit the market, the Knicks make the most sense to me. The Knicks make a lot of sense as a team that would be interested. And that could potentially, depending on what the what the trade partner, in this case the Sixers, are looking for, give them pieces that are potentially useful. Like the Knicks have a lot of players on reasonable contracts, which can be a, a good thing. You know, like, especially yeah. in the light of like, you know, if you're not, we're not talking about rookie scale guys who are generally positive value. There aren't always a ton of positive value contracts long term in the league. So yeah. I the challenge with them with the Knicks is I think they'll always be in the room, but I think the way that they have the best offer, and this this kind of came into play a little bit in the Donovan Mitchell thing. I don't love a lot of their draft assets. So like they kind of hit the they did the volume play rather than the quality play with some of the stuff that they've done. Which I mean that can be that can work out really well for you. We've seen teams do it. But like I one of the big questions that I have is like so I and I, I haven't written on this yet, but it's something I want to do this summer, is these this group of teams that are in the, that are all in the West, of course, that are all really asset rich and are kind of like on different different timelines. So I'm talking about New Orleans, I'm talking about Utah, I'm talking about San Antonio, and um, why am I blanking on the last one? Um, Oklahoma City. The challenge is. Are those teams going to get in the bidding? And does the bidding ever really happen? Because yeah. general, we've seen players narrow the field at least a little bit. And we don't know in that case who would be necessarily running the Sixers. My instinct is that it would still be Daryl Morey. But what would they be looking for? What approach would they be doing? But yeah, I mean, I think the Knicks are the Knicks are reasonably well positioned and they're even better positioned if the disgruntled player in question, whether it's Joel Embiid or somebody else, says, I'm going to narrow the field in half or in a third or whatever else, and the Knicks are probably going to be in that group. 
So the, the reason I also say the Knicks for next offseason particularly is I think there is value, more value than what people think in current value and like current timeline picks mm-hmm. because it allows you to rebuild quicker as opposed to like waiting and waiting and waiting for all these assets that will eventually come, but potentially after you have a job as a general manager, right? The Knicks currently have access to their own 2024. They have access to Dallas's top 10, 2024 protected. So probably we'll go through. Yeah. They have a future pick from Detroit that -hmm. is extended out until 2027. And it's top 18 next year, top 13 in 2025, top 11 in 2026, top nine protected in 2027. So they're probably going to get that Detroit pick at some point. They also have a 2024 from Washington that is top 12 protected this year, top 10 protected in 2025, top eight protected in 2026. Reasonable chance that transfers at some point as a first and as a lottery pick, I think. So you have these 2024 pick assets that are potentially really like somewhat valuable, let's call them, maybe not like exceptionally valuable, but could realistically all turn into lottery picks outside of, I think, the Dallas one. You also have, I believe, all of your own first rounders. You have a 2025 from Milwaukee, I believe. They do, unless it's top four, which we don't expect it to be. Right. So you have a number of picks that are interesting, I think, to the Knicks to uh, Philly and you have all of your own picks that gives them, it's a good blend of current value, which allow you to rebuild sooner for your fan base and future value, which like if after Joel Embiid does not resign or falls off a little bit in some way, you can try and get that future value as well. And if you're the Knicks, you're probably giving up just about everything you have for Joel Embiid because this is what you've been waiting for. So, you could do something like Emmanuel Quickly, the R.J. Barrett deal, the Evan Fournier deal. Like if you have him opt in, essentially, that's an expiring deal. Emmanuel Quickly, these three 2024 first round picks and then two other first round picks. And that's probably more than anybody else is going to offer would be my guess, right? Like unless you love the Houston guys, maybe you could give me a case that Houston – is a better offer with Embiid. There could be other teams that work their way into the conversation. Brooklyn is a potential. They have such a weird combination of stuff because they yeah. have all these Phoenix picks, but they also, you know, Mikael Bridges, who of course has a history with the Philadelphia 76ers, having been his mother, being a part of the organization, having been drafted by them and traded for Zyre Smith. But like there, there are a couple of other ones that I think could work their way in. Like there's o- Oklahoma City could easily do this. Oklahoma oh, okay, City, okay. See, the other wild one is New Orleans. Like New Orleans yeah. can work their way as they reportedly did in the two three stuff in the draft. Like they can work themselves into anything if they want to. It's just the, do they want to? And so yeah. we'd have to wonder that. And then and then you know how much does the player the player fit in? And and the other wild factor in all this is like. It does seem like we're in a generally stable time, but players will always shake loose. Like that's that's the thing that I think we've learned over the last couple of years is like there will always be someone. But Joel Embiid is a phenomenally talented someone, and he is the type yeah. of player that a that a, a group like the Knicks can prioritize. And the other thing about with New York, and I, I believe this to be the case, is I don't think they're necessarily building this 
asset salary matching base and all that for Joel Embiid specifically. However, I think they are building it for the for a disgruntled star, and Joel Embiid is probably their ideal of that group. But that yes. group could include a number of other guys. And part of what makes the Knicks so fascinating is I think they were probably a lot more interested in Donovan Mitchell before Jalen Brunson was awesome last year. And yeah. now, now, of course, if you can add Donovan Mitchell while not giving up a ton of their stuff, like you could, you, you do it. Donovan Mitchell is an amazing player. But mm-hmm. they, can, they can now emphasize different elements of an overall good team to make it work. And so now if you want to go after a wing, if you want to go after a center like Joel Embiid, you don't need the, the creator now. You have yeah. Jalen Brunson is good enough to be that guy. And so that frees them up to identify other targets and work within it. Now, you're generally you're dependent on the supply here because the supply is so variable. We think it'll be somebody, but we don't know who that somebody is. So we'll have to see. So here is now, you know, the, the other teams that could be in, like, obviously I mentioned Oklahoma city. I'm a little bit skeptical. Oklahoma city would do this personally. Cause it feels like they are building for the timeline after Joel is out of his prime a little bit to me, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe like Shay would speed that up in some way. And some of the other guys on their roster would speed that up in some way. Um, New Orleans, I think actually might be like the prime team that could do this. Houston is another team that like really could do this. They really wanted to, but I think New York would be inclined to offer everything. Whereas maybe New Orleans would not offer everything. Maybe Houston would not offer everything. And thus that incentive to offer more and more and more would make it so New York would probably be the team that would offer most at the end of the day, even though they don't have the most to offer. The other kind of consideration to make is I always, I'm always interested. It doesn't happen very often in the like talented young team that wouldn't do it through cap space. So like, what if Orlando thinks that they can play Franz Wagner (laughs) and Paolo and Joel together? And they do, they want something with that. Like they could put together a really strong offer. And there, we don't usually see those teams. I mean, Orlando has made some big swings in the past, but like we haven't usually seen it go in that direction. But you never know. And like, you never know. Uh, and Embiid is so, I mean, here's the other one that we have to bring up just because you always should is the Miami Heat. Like, I don't know how, how it would work with or without Dame, but you yeah, know, it's happened before. And I, I just, I don't think they actually have an offer that can top you, anything. You want, you, want my fa- you want my favorite crazy one? If yeah. we're gaming this out that it's like a year or two out, Portland. Yeah. Portland the post, could. The post-Dame Portland Trailblazers put something together. I mean, but... Good Lord, would you be risking with another another seven-footer, unbelievably talented with an injury history in, in a Trailblazers uniform I, as somebody who still has James, who still has Greg Oden's, you know, his foot on my, and tearing, tugging my heartstrings. It would be, it would be challenging. But like the idea basically of you're not going to get anybody better than him for like there, there aren't going to be better players traded for a while. And, you know, even if we said that there's going to be the, the cavalcade of guys just basically every year, you know what we haven't really mentioned anywhere here is anyone who has real top five credibility other than like Kevin Durant is kind of his own case, yeah. but it's rare. And yeah. that's why, you know, we're interested in That's why we're talking about, it, even though Joel Embiid is miles from making a trade request right now. Yes. And here's hoping the Sixers are so good that he never has to. But yes. it is, you know, it is a distinct possibility. The interesting one for me there on Portland is what happens if they take Dame into the season, 
the Harden thing becomes such a fucking calamity that Joel asks out and they still have Lillard. <laughs> and then you can do like shade in in a million picks and like Jeremy Grant or whatever you want to do for Joel. And then you have Scoot, you know, you could do, you could do Simon's shade in in a million picks for Joel or something like that. And maybe that's your, that's your interesting move, right? It's still probably not great. It's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. But like, nonetheless, we're getting into hypothetical world. The other team I want to ask you about, because I think they are the other team that like does not really make a ton of sense to me at the moment is the Clippers. Mm -hmm. It's very clear what the Clippers are trying to do. They are trying to position all of their salaries to expire at the same time outside of Terrence Mann, which happens to be the 2024 off season. It is interesting to me that, as I'm sure it has gone noticed to you, that we have not heard much about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George extensions at this point. That feels of note to me because they are both extension eligible. They are both superstars. They are both top 15 players. Kawhi, throughout the second half of last season, was a top five player in the NBA, point blank. So where do we think the Clippers are headed now? It is an even more fraught circumstance than I think some anticipate because they're planning on opening their new stadium. I think the last time I heard is for the 24-25 season is the last estimate. So Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have even more leverage than the lofty leverage we thought they did before. That said, it's sort of in a way it parallels what we discussed earlier with Tyrese Maxey and his extension, where if what they're asking for is basically everything, well, then you go well, we don't need to do that now, even though you you really want them to be a part of it. And I I think that the Clippers are significantly more open to spending long-term for the right pieces if they come in. Like, So, for example, I don't think Balmer and Lawrence Frank would be opposed to trading Marcus Morris, Nicola Batum, Robert Covington for a really good $35 million player and have them carry out. I think they'd be fine with that, but it would need to be the right guy because you have to commit to it. And the Clippers are in the weird boat where they don't have that much committed, so they could theoretically change paths, but I don't think they'd change timelines because of the new stadium. So I think that they want to have the best team they can reasonably have and one of the challenges is what does that entail? You know, like they, they, I was, I've been more of a Clippers optimist than I should have been a lot over the last few years. And that happens when you have Kawhi and numerous other things. But part of it is like they have this weird thing where they got all these kind of forward guys. They had a, had a version of a switching lineup, but then a bunch of them went south at the same time. And hopefully they can re- they can return to form. And Robert Covington isn't going to be an afterthought anymore. But, I mean, who knows? Who, really, who knows? And so for the Clippers, I think that one of the questions that Balmer and Lawrence Frank have to ask and answer is, is there somebody, whether it's James Harden or, or otherwise, who can give us that undeniable element who can give us something that when you combine it with Leonard and George, who presumably are at least a part of there in the short term, like if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are not a, are not Clippers in 2024, I think it will be because they left by a free agency than a trade. So basically you're, you're keeping them as the lens for the current team. And but, but if you're planning on doing that, why wouldn't you just extend them? 
because you kind of want to see where things where things go and maybe the possibility of a fifth year and see Palmer's money. Like I think that they're less afraid in part because both players have chosen to be there yeah. of them choosing something else. Like that is a very different place to be than some of the other situations that have happened where, you know, like yeah. you're, you're like, I'm incidentally like Kevin Durant on the Warriors after, you know, like kind of later on in that where it's like, Oh, you might want to do something else. Like those yeah. sorts of, or Kyrie Irving anywhere he's ever been. Um, well, and frankly, like someone like Paul George, who is setting himself up very, very well for his post NBA career right now, mm-hmm. it makes more sense for him to be in LA. Sure. Kawhi Leonard, it seems like is very happy being at home, being around like his people in LA, as opposed to having to go somewhere else and like starting to. So I do think there is real value in that. I think that you're probably right that like they are probably under less pressure than most teams yeah. are. I don't right? think they're as afraid of those they're as afraid of those guys leaving. And the other weird element that's so I, I've been wrapping my head around with the Clippers. I've been working on my team by team uh twenty twenty four stuff for the athletic. And like one of the things that I brought up in is I'm like in the hypothetical basically one theory that that I have for the Clippers is that either they both come back or neither comes back. Basically the idea that if let's say Kawhi is the lead domino but it could very easily be the other way. That, but mm-hmm. let's say Kawhi leaves. Maybe it's to Philly, as we were talking about before. Then I don't think Paul George sticks around. Like I, he could, like he would be within his rights. And so what happens then is because of all you mentioned, all the flexibility they have. All of a sudden, the Clippers have over fifty million. Like, and they might have even more than that. I haven't, I, I haven't fully like run my Excel on what it would be. Yeah, they would have, they would almost have double max cap space for next summer. Yeah. Not that there would be many other guys to get. But we already ran through a lot of what that list would be. But so basically, part of it might be for them if it's an all or nothing proposition, and you're you think it's going to be the all, but you're not as afraid of the nothing. Because you could just you'd be this major market team that is generally considered to be well run. That yeah, you probably want to do it in the first year of the stadium. But if it ends up being the second year, twenty twenty five, we don't know what that's going to be in terms of free agency and everything else. Like it's not the worst thing in the world for them. And so I think that the difference with the Clippers is that their roster doesn't like there are some things they could do to make the 23-24 season better and that's the theory with James Harden and numerous other things but i actually think that their long term books make complete sense on the idea that my my thesis of the nba is completely different for big market teams than than non big market teams i don't want to say small market yep. just non big and that is you either want to be able to bring in multiple really good players or you want to be so full of good players that you can't add anybody else. And that's really what the Clippers have done throughout the last little bit. It's what a lot of teams screwed up in the last two CBAs ago now. It's not even the last CBA because I'm so old. Um, and so maybe they're just not as afraid of that. Maybe they think we can we can figure this out. We can make it work. We can Maybe it'll take a little bit, they're, They but they have the possibility. Okay. I think that's probably a good way to explain what they're planning on and how they go about things moving forward uh i think this makes sense in terms of why james harden just ends up in la i I still think that this all just lines up for harden to end up with the clippers right it does and i think that it the the question that i'm lingering on with all of the harden stuff is who bends and who breaks because i i am of the belief and i think you are too that we will not see 
the best version of James Harden, whatever that best version is, on the 76ers this year. Yep. And if that's the case, then you have to re reanalyze, recontextualize this season anyway. Like that is just if you're if you're pricing that in, or even you're pricing that in that that's a ninety percent possibility rather than a hundred, like you and I probably are. Well, then that changes the way you think about it, and then something like the Clippers offer or something else becomes more palatable to you because you're not you're not comparing it to your dream; you're comparing it to your reality. Who are the next teams that you're looking at beyond these obvious ones in terms of potential? Not for Harden. I was going to, yeah, just kind of finish up here. Like, who are the next teams you're looking at as real potential move spots that will shape next offseason or the season after that with player movement either acquiring or having to move important players? You brought up the Knicks. They're a great one. And the other group that I'm really interested... Well, so there, there's one that I already mentioned, which is those Western Conference teams with a ton of other teams' picks. The the Jazz, the Thunder, the Spurs, and the Pelicans. So like they, if they want to do something in there, you're not necessarily signing a free agent. You're trading for somebody. But then the other ones that are really interesting to me are two teams that could either spend in 24, but probably more likely in 25, are the Brooklyn Nets and the Orlando Magic. And so yeah. both of those teams they could have a they could have a lot of space whenever like in probably in 25 for both though they could the Magic especially could do it 24 no problem. And have enough good players around that that talent could be interested in them. They also have matching salaries so they could do it via trade if they want to and and maybe that's more palatable, maybe that's more plausible for them. And they also are good enough potentially that players could be like, hey, like that's that's a fun place to go. That's a you know, it's like players like or so there are some players who like Orlando. There's of course plenty of players who like Brooklyn. And Orlando, so, no state income tax is actually correct. like a big factor there. It is. Yeah. It is. And um and incidentally a lot of players spent time there in the bubble too. Maybe some of them had affinity. Plenty that probably didn't. Not that that was the yep. city of Orlando's fault in any way, shape or form. And so that that kind of idea, and I think broadly speaking one of the points that I wanted to make before we went away is that it's looking overwhelmingly likely that the we are not in the cap space maximization paradigm for, for this CBA. Because basically, for no fault of anybody's part, the owners and players did not want what happened in 2016 to happen again. They didn't want to spike, even if revenues go up, and that would be great for a lot of people. Rising tide lifts a whole lot of boats, especially for the players. But the ten percent it not being the CBA, the currency, the new CBA doesn't allow the cap to rise more than ten percent in a given season, and so what that means is you're not going to see these like wild swings, and you're not going to see you know you're not going to see like really good teams have cap space that often unless they make a concerted effort like Philadelphia may be doing right now, and so what I think that means is we're going to see more situations like what happened with Damian Lillard, more situations like. What happened with Kevin Durant, where players take the money when they can, as is their right. No, I have no problem with that, of course. And then if they want out after that, or Bradley Beal is a great example of this too. If they want out after that, then they'll probably get it. And maybe they don't get it in the first week. Maybe they don't get it in the first two months. Maybe they get it later. And yep. how 
there are a couple, and this is this is the big a big part of the idea I was talking about before about big market versus non big market, where you can roll those dice a couple of times if you're the Clippers, if you're the Lakers, if you're the Knicks. Um, some would argue maybe the the Nets or the Warriors, depending on how you perceive market size and everything else. But everyone else, I think you need to be behaving as if the way that you get a star player is a drafting them because that's the way that it's almost always going to be, or B, trading for them, that it's not signing mm. them with cap space. And so we're going to see more more teams move in that direction more aggressively, and that's just that's just the world we live in for now. And I personally, you know, I, I love the cap space survey. I love the, you know, the, <laughs> the wooing and the, the the frantic reporting of, like, the, the that Kevin Durant Clippers one where, like, everyone was crying, or the Blake Griffin with the shirts and everything else. I love that, I, and it makes my job more fun. But what we're what our part of our job is understanding where things are going and where things are. Yeah, and I think that's where they're going. I think I agree with you. The other spot that I'm really looking at right now is trying to figure out what Minnesota does. Oh well, I can tell you they're 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 really in a hard way in terms of the finances here because so like one one way of putting this uh, is they are. 20 million below next so this isn't for the coming years for the year below the year after they're 20 million below the tax with nothing for Jaden mcdaniels or mike conley and that includes waiving shake milton and troy brown jr who have non-guarantees they either ownership is going to pony up and pay one of the biggest bills we've we've seen in non-balmer non-lake of you know iterations or they're going to lose someone good someone real good they need to make some sort of move here it just has like we're at the point where it's going to have to come. We're at a pressure point for them and we're at that pressure point in part. And I think they'll probably go through with like the first half of this season and see what the Carl Towns Rudy Gobert thing looks like, given mm-hmm. the fact that we didn't get a chance to see much of it last year. The Towns Gobert, the Towns injury last year, more than anything, really hindered Minnesota's decision making in terms of its future even more than like what their overall import was last year, right? Whether or not they could win a title last year. I don't think many people thought they would win a title. I think that people thought that like maybe they would contend and be a really good regular season team and then they'd be ready to go this season. I don't think that really changes given the fact they've had an off season together now. Hopefully they've had a chance to like really grow and mature. I think that it just extended out that window of uncertainty above all. And it now did. they have like a real level like if you were engaged in the Carl Towns Rudy Gobert combination which I think that Minnesota is probably more optimistic <laughs> on that front than anybody else is is maybe a fair way to put it mm-hmm. uh I don't know if you have the answer yet on that and you're gonna have to go through part of this season at least and find out and then you're gonna have to find out what the actual market is for Towns and Gobert and figure out what the overall fit is with Anthony Edwards, because Anthony Edwards' presence in Minnesota is what makes this so important. Because as we've seen for Team USA, as we have seen throughout the latter portion of last season, Anthony Edwards looks like a future top 10 player in the league at this point. And that's putting it conservatively, I think. There's a chance he's a top five guy at some point. And how Minnesota handles this now over the course of the next year is going to be really, really important in terms of figuring out the trajectory of the league, but also the trajectory of this potential top five guy in the league's career. 
It is. And there, the finances are one part of it, but also like the quality of the team on the court is another. And one consideration, not that I think that Minnesota will will handle it in this way with however we're defining their ownership group because it's still the awkward transition between Taylor and Lori and A-Rod and everything else, is yeah. technically speaking, you don't have to your tax number is not calculated until the end of that season. So they could theoretically start for the Rover and then shed during. But the problem is a with the salary floor the way it is now and B just as a practical consideration with the the nature of how people Mm -hmm. are handling financial risk or really any kind of risk. We don't really see that. So the idea is that some version of ducks are going to need to be in a row by October 1st and probably by july 15th like that's just the way that this is going to work doesn't have to be july 1st but july 15th i think by that point you need to know and what minnesota's i think the the biggest question that tim Connolly and ownership because again ownership level conversation needs to figure out is how essential is carl anthony hands to that because while in an ideal world, I think you'd rather keep Towns than Gobert because, and you could potentially keep both and lose a lot of other support things. Like we'll say Edwards is the only set set piece you can you know write it down in indelible ink for the near term. Is the the problem is I think that there will be problem. The situation is that there will be more suitors for Towns. He's younger. He's intriguing. And like the last couple of years have been weird, but like he still is a very talented player. Whereas Gobert is more of a known commodity. And I think his age is a little bit of a deterrent. And so I think that there's a chance that even, even though the Wolves like Towns better, I'm not saying they do, but like I, I believe that there's a reasonable case that they still end up saving the money by moving him because there are more suitors and because you can build you can, it's actually more straightforward to build a great team with Gobert Edwards Gobert Edwards McDaniel's maybe Connolly maybe not and what you can get for Towns than that replacing Towns and Gobert. Are we sure that? Towns' contract, which will pay him $62 million in 2027-28, <laughs> is more valuable than Gobert's, who will only make $46 million in 2025-26 before expiring, on a player option, by the way. We, so, are, we are not. However, the general, <laughs> though not exclusive, understanding, and I think of Russell Westbrook for this because you know he got traded so many times in the contract, is that, broadly yeah. speaking... There will always be a few front offices around the league that say, is this player worth it or could they be worth it now? And then you just say whatever happens after that. Incidentally, that's probably part of the logic Minnesota used with the Gobert contract. It doesn't necessarily lead to good trades, (laughs) but it can lead to viable trade partners. And that's really what they're looking for. And look, the Washington deal with uh, Russell Westbrook ended up returning Kyle Kuzma, right? Right. And Kyle Kuzma, whatever you think of him, probably at the very least a top 70 player in the league, something like that, right? Like he's a top half of the league starter at the very least, I would say. And that's if you think low of him, right? Sure. Like you're at least getting back somebody of real import and value, uh, I I say at that point. So Minnesota is one I'm really looking at. Uh, Obviously Milwaukee is going to be really important here because – 
of the Giannis situation for people who don't know Giannis's uh, contract is currently extension eligible, but he has a player option after the 2024 25 season. So this is theoretically his second to last year uh, on this deal with Milwaukee. Interesting scenario. Obviously the bucks will have to try and figure that out. Also, I think there is a real case that it just does not make financial sense for him to sign this extension right now. I agree. We have, no evidence that he's upset. We have no evidence that he's unhappy. I just want to be clear that that is a team of import. The other team that I've kind of alluded to a couple of times that I'm really intrigued to watch here is actually Houston. Mm. Houston has built up this young crew of interesting players. Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Alper and Shangun, Amen Thompson, all of the other guys. Tari Eason certainly is another one. They have this weird Kevin Porter contract that can be used – uh, either as an asset if you like the player or as an expiring if you don't. Like, they are very, 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 very well positioned to get into star trade conversations. And they're a big market in a state that does not have income tax. Mm-hmm. I'll add does one, not have I'll, state income tax, I want to mention. I'll add one more, if we're because you brought up Milwaukee, more of a not like a next six-month team, but more of a next 12-month team, and that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because... Yeah. That opens up what in the world is going to happen with Donovan Mitchell. He has a lot of decisions to make. The Cavs have a lot of decisions to make. But basically, Cleveland, who, remember, was one of the league's best regular season teams last year. They yes. had, you know, and, and that they had a horrendous exit from the playoffs, and the, there are a lot of other things that we can discuss with them. But basically, there are a series of decisions that are and are not in the organization's control that could have a real impact around the league because. Like if Don Mitchell says he wants to stay, maybe they have to re- reevaluate some of these finances because once all four of their best players are getting paid, it is a very different calculation than right now where it's only three. And yeah. every and if and if Mitchell decides he wants to be elsewhere, then that becomes another huge question mark in all this. And so, I'm really I'm really interested in. Cleveland, both with the Mitchell lens and also the idea that it's like this really exciting young team that has a lot to prove and yep. has a, you know, could be, end up being a huge factor in all this. Yeah. No, I think that this is not a, not a bad situation to watch at the very least, because how they perform this year probably will play the role in how they build next off season. Like if they take a step back this year, if they win 45 games and Donovan Mitchell is now on an expiring deal and they lose in the first round of the playoffs again, that now becomes like a very real conversation about how you go forward with Donovan Mitchell and whether or not you do. And I think that they would probably try and move Jared Allen before they would move Donovan Mitchell. And they try and do like a couple of different things in order to, you know, finagle around Donovan Mitchell as opposed to trade him first. I I wonder if that, if they start out like kind of 500 this year, as opposed to what they did last year, if we don't see a Jared Allen trade, to be honest, because that's, Something that they they are now under time pressure as an organization. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell is now under time. He is under time pressure. So they have to make moves within that time period to find out what their ceiling is with this core. And to me, the guy that you move there is Jared Allen. So he's kind of like the sneaky. I don't even know about sneaky. Like it's not that sneaky. It's just like he's the guy I'm looking at as like a player that I think theoretically could get moved. Absolutely a possibility. Okay, uh, those are the 
big ones, I would say. Utah, you've mentioned these teams like Utah, um, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, uh, certainly the teams in the West that have a lot of these assets. Uh, it feels like, to me, like the, the, that's really where we're at. Brooklyn, obviously, is another situation that could be interesting. We're probably two years away, I think, from Boston being a financially interesting situation with both Jalen and Jason making as much money as they are. I think that's those are really the pressure points, right? So the last question I will ask, I will ask you here before we leave is moving forward, you have gone through the collective bargaining agreement, at the very least, the important points. Is there something that you're looking at that people are not talking about as an interesting potential pressure point from the collective bargaining agreement point, point of view that could lead to more, less movement, anything like that? I think I already brought it up a little bit, but the cap never going up more than 10%. I think that's the big one because Mm -hmm. what that means is that there's a lot less variance in terms of how much teams can have to spend and really, and, and because while 10% can be a lot of money, like 10% of a hundred billion dollars is a lot of money. And when you get up to 200 and 300 billion, I was, I was working on like, basically is in a piece that's not yet published, but like, what is like, what does that 10% look like? But remember that, Play, contracts for the best players in the league are ex, like for the most expensive guys in your books are going to go up either 8% or 5% a year. And so a lot of that ends up getting consumed by the raises within. And then a lot of other times, you know, like you could, for example, the caps, like, you know, Evan Mobley is going to get his raise at one point, at some point. And, you know, yeah. and, and if you have a guy on a below market contract, the assumption has to be that they're going to go. And, and sure, there are Tobias Harris's of the world too, who may take a diminished role or who may just be gone entirely. But the idea that there probably aren't going to be that many teams that have championship upside if they bring in one more guy and have max cap space. I think that for the next five years, that's going to be a rarity. Not not zero. Like either I mean Philly next year is a distinct possibility. But 2025, you know, we'll see where some of those guys shake out. But especially if we get another another round of high-level players taking extensions, which is, I, I think, where we're generally going, there will be yeah. some exceptions. But it just basically becomes, okay, well, then we just have to use a different pathway. And so I think that's yeah. one. The other just, this is more of a small thing, but I know you and I are going to end up talking about this a lot. The league shifting the power of the tax pyramid level and the room exception is a really potentially important thing. So, so basically for a lot of the life of the, well, I mean, neither of those exceptions have been around forever, but the room exception is more recent The the room exception was pretty small. It was like this little bonus thing. The cap space teams got and the tax pyramid level was like, you know, a solid contributor. They flipped it in the new CBA. So like for, um, for the current year, it's seven point seven million for the room exception, even five million for the taxpayer. Mm. So what that means is, there that those are close enough that some players would choose one over the other. And remember, there are a lot of teams that don't have the taxpayer because of the second apron and everything else. Is that the room exception is now a viable way to actually add like a solid last yes. guy? We saw the Kings do it. We saw a few other teams go that route. Misich signed. I don't know whether I, I believe he signed for the room exception. It could have been that amount of cap space. Either way. Yep. And that's really interesting. The idea that, and this is part of the sales pitch for Philly to bring this back all the way to the beginning is if Philly thinks they can get not like a star, but if they think they can get a potential, a player who can be 
maybe fifth or sixth or seventh in minutes with that room exception, which is going to be worth roughly $8 million in the year that they potentially could have cap space, that changes things a lot. Like that could, you know, it's a lot more valid. It's a lot more intriguing to think that you can put together a team. Like it's not just stars and scrubs. It's stars and like a decent role player and then, you know, some minimum guys. And so that, I think we're going to see some real hits. Like we go back, you know, like PJ Tucker is one of the best mid-level exception contracts in modern NBA history. The room exception is a little bit different, but we need to start thinking about some of those players making those kinds of waves. My last, this is actually my last question and then I'm going to let you go. If I was to tell you that the top of the 2024 NBA draft all the way through like pick seven or eight, let's say is quite a bit weaker than what we've seen in recent years. How do you think that would impact the planning of some of these organizations that might end up having higher end picks? And how do you think it would impact potential movement across the league? It definitely changes things uh, in part because picks with that, those, that kind of upside then become less enticing like if you have if you have a maybe you have somebody else's pick like for example that so the the one of the ones that's been so tantalizing for a couple of years now is that the Pelicans can either get the Lakers 24 first or their 25 first. They have the choice yeah. after the lottery. Now we expect the Lakers to be a good team next year. So like there's probably not much that, but you get the idea that like those sorts of circumstances and maybe teams are a little less interested in it. But I think that for, you know, for some of the franchises that have been in this boat, like it, it's better to like Washington. I, even if this wasn't exactly the right time, like they should have traded Bradley Beal years before. Even if this class ends up being worse, you still want to go down the same path because there could be players that exceed your expectations and because you're not choosing between being a championship-level team and being one of the worst teams in the league. You're choosing between being the 15th to 20th best team in the league to being the 28th best team in the league. And yeah. I don't love being in the middle if they're, if you're not going to break out of it. So I it it affects everything. Like I'm not going to say yeah. say anything otherwise, but I don't think it changes decision making as much. And the other part of yeah. it, like because of the way they've restructured the lottery, I don't think that a single top player does that either. I think that yeah. you, because you yeah. only have a 25 percent. Now it ended up being in my evaluation. I believe in yours too. That the top four, top five in this class were very intrigued. And so yes. then that does change things because then at that point it's like, whoa, okay, we have the best lottery odds. We have the second best lottery odds. Yeah, we're probably not going to We don't want to fall out of the top five, basically. Yeah, we're, we're, not, yeah. we're probably not going to get Wembenyama because mathematically no one is probably going to get Victor Wembenyama. That's the way it works out or the next Wembenyama or whatever. Yeah. But we can get somebody who can really help us. Yeah. And but if we, that, if we have a 65% chance at one of Victor Wembenyama, Scoot Henderson, or Brandon Miller – that is something that is substantial for us. Exactly. And so I think that the, and you've done a great job of this. We, we've had these conversations both on game theory and on real jam radio about like the different ways that a class can be good or bad. But if it's, you know, like if the top one to six is significantly worse then yeah, that that's going to change a whole, that's going to change a whole lot of stuff. And then we'll see what happens at 25 and moving forward. Yep. Okay. Danny, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Uh, I mean, this is a quiet time for me, which is nice. Um, but 
I you, my written work is at the Athletic. I've actually had some time to write recently, and so I have one piece. the The Philly piece is already out. My team by team projections are submitted. They will probably come out next week, and then I have like three other pieces in process. Uh, podcasting I've actually been on a short hiatus from Real Jam Radio, but it will be back next week. And uh, my standard off season thing is I have two guests on, and we talk about each division in depth. And so that will be starting next week, and as long as things go according to plan. And yeah, and then, you know, it looks like next season is going to look a lot like last season for me, hopefully. <laughs> so you can see if you if you follow my work, you should hopefully get more of the same work. Yeah, go, go, you know, <laughs> follow Danny. He's the best. Danny, as you can see, best in the business when it comes to planning for the future and with just knowing basketball. He's super fun to talk to. Go follow Danny's work. Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. I will be back uh, on this show maybe tomorrow, maybe Sunday. (laughs) Who the hell knows at this point? But we will be back soon. Uh, Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.